This is a Woodside Church podcast. Hello. Hello. So, today I'm speaking to you about a story from the Bible. If you've been a Christian any longer than a week, you probably would have heard of. It's a story about a guy... I've done this this morning. It's not a story about this guy. It's a story about Jesus that involves a man called Zacchaeus. You may know the story. This story is a very famous story about a man who makes a dramatic U-turn in his life, a complete, a complete change of direction. But the Bible is full of people that have these sort of, these sort of life-changing moments, but usually they're a little bit more dr- well, seemingly dramatic than this one. You get people, a man called Paul in the Bible, and he hated the church and he would kill he would stand at the feet of Christians who were dying and watch them die. He would strip families apart and he would take the, the mum and the dad away from the children and he would laugh and enjoy it. He and he felt his job was to destroy the church. And then the Bible says that he had a massive encounter with God and became a Christian and became one of the most famous Christians in the Bible. Um, if you're not it would be Saint Paul, a very famous man. This story Seemingly, it doesn't have any dramatic, dramatic encounters, and yet we get the same sort of thing where this guy has a massive U-turn. Um, it literally involves a conversation. He probably didn't even see any miracles because, the, as you'll hear in a minute, the story suggests he's very short. Jesus was just passing through his town. He would have probably heard of he would have heard of Jesus, but he's probably never seen him, and he probably never saw any miracles. He just has one conversation and his life has changed. So that's what makes this story peculiar. So then the question we have to ask is, what happened that made him change like that? What happened? But before I tell you the story, I need to give you a little bit of context on tax collectors. Some of you will know this, but I'm going to tell you, tell you the context to give the story more colour. Tax collectors in the Bible days were, worked for the Roman government. Romans ruled over Israel... Israel didn't like that because they wanted, obviously, be ruled by Israelites. So the Romans ruled over these Israelite towns, and they had tax collectors that were usually Romans who would knock on the door and would take the tax that Caesar, Caesar required, but then they would also take a surplus that was for themselves. As a result, tax collectors were normally rich because they could charge what the heck they wanted. And, and often they had a lot of power and not much integrity. This story isn't just about a tax collector, it's about a Jewish tax collector, which makes the story all the, all the worse because he was a traitor to the Jews. The Jews thought, and not only is he working for the Romans, he calls himself a Jew and we don't like him. He's destroying Israel, he's, ta- he's stealing from my children, he's stealing from my house and he calls himself a Jew. So this man was despised. And in fact, often in the Bible, when it refers to tax collectors, Jesus uses the term tax collector to represent an evil person. So he tells parables of, he would say stuff like, there was a Pharisee, a good person, who actually is not good, but in the story, a good person, and a tax collector, bad person. So tax collectors were seen as the bad guys. And this guy was one of the worst, because he was a chief tax collector, and he was Jewish. So that's the context. So here's the story. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he did. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of the man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, all, all, no, sorry, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded any, anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to um, save the lost, seek and save the lost. That's the story. But one thing I find peculiar about this story is it ref- sometimes the Bible gives us too much details and sometimes not enough details, I think. So not enough details would be, in the beginning, God made the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Next. But then you watch, like, um, what's, what's he called? What's he, what's he? David Attenborough. Watch David Attenborough and you think, well, that's, that's, that's quite, a big, quite a big variety going on, and he said in one sentence. I, think I would like a bit more details. So sometimes it's short, snappy, you want more details. Sometimes there's details that you wonder, why on earth is that in there? So in this story, why does he mention that it's a sycamore tree? Why doesn't he just say, and he went into a tree? And, there, and I think there are two reasons this, the word sycamore tree is mentioned. One, sycamore trees are very well known for being incredibly dense, dense leaves, very easy to hide in. The leaves are huge and there's loads of them. Very easy tree to hide in. That's one. Two, sycamore trees in this story in Jericho didn't grow in Jericho. They grew about 50 feet outside of Jericho. So just, just literally just outside of the town. And that's, that's important for a reason I'll state later. So they were dense and they weren't in Jericho. But the reason the first thing is important, it was dense, suggests one thing. Zacchaeus was hiding. He was hiding. He was hiding from the Jews. There was hundreds of them following Jesus. There had been a massive crowd following Jesus, a massive entourage. So he was hiding from the Jews, and he was probably hiding from Jesus because he doesn't want a righteous man to see him. So he would have been hiding. He wasn't just climbing up because he was small. He was hiding. And... The thing is, the Bible is full of people hiding. It's the story of the Bible, the story of Genesis. Adam and Eve sin, they eat the fruit, and they hide behind a tree or a bush, again in a field. And that's what people do. When we do something wrong, we hide. When I was young, and before I tell the story, I was 10, so give me some grace, please. It's a very dark story of my worst days. Um, I was 10 years old, and I was at my junior school, and the junior school and the secondary school were attached and what held between us was this giant football cage. It was just a cage. So you had the sporty sixth, um, saw me, um, secondary school kids there, junior school kids here by a fence. And these secondary school kids were shouting abuse at us little ones. And I went up to the fence and I... And I said, come, come, come. And he came up to me and I spat in his face. Lovely. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry again now. I'm sorry again. <laughs> um, 
and I spat in his face, and then I suddenly realised, oh, he can get to me. He's just got to run round there and come run round. So I was the first, turned around and wasn't so big at this point, and I ran and I ran into the orchard and I hid behind a tree, and I was found by the teacher in charge. Luckily, on, she was stopping him from doing some nasty things. But I hid. And actually, at home, if my children are naughty, my boys in particular, Harvey's the worst for this, my son, if he's naughty, I will find out he's naughty often before, I found, before I've been told he's been naughty, because I'll see these little feet under the table wobbling around, and I'm well, Harvey, what? what have you done? And then he'll tell me, because we hide. When we do something wrong, we hide. But adults, we're not as blatant as this. Our hiding is a bit more, it's clever, more clever than that. Hiding for an adult isn't literally a tree, usually. Hiding for an adult could be hiding behind a, a peered godliness. We want people to see us in this godly state. We'll say all the Christian words, like fellowship. We'll say Christian words. We'll, use them. we'll add the right act, the right demeanor. But actually, what people see at church is not what goes on, really. That's not reality. If they read your WhatsApp and your Snapchat, that's not the same person. We hide behind this demeanour that is godly. That's what the Pharisees did, actually. Um, or we hide behind a fake smile. It's another one people do a lot of. In fact, I know a fr- I've got a friend of a friend who I've, I've seen these photos on Facebook and Insta of her like this. <laughs> Loads of big smiles, beautiful smiles. But I know, because I know, this person isn't happy. She's not happy. Something's, yeah. And yet she can hide behind a fake smile, and she's not the only one that does that. A lot of us do that. And Jesus doesn't want us to hide. There's loads of places we hide. Sadly, the world is an orchard full of hiding places. And it's millions of reasons. We've all got different ways we hide. And this week, if you're in one of the groups, I'd like you to ask, even as you leave, what are my hiding places? What are the places I run to when something goes bad? Is it a computer screen? What is it? Is it work? Another classic is people hide at work. See, not everybody needs, not everybody stays at work because they need extra money. Not everybody's there for the overtime. Some people stay at work because they feel that they're something at work. They feel they've got respect at work. People, they've got a prominent position. People like them at work and they're good at their job. But they know when they go home, they don't feel like they're a very good parent. They don't feel like a very good husband or wife. So they stay at work. They hide. But the problem with hiding is you can't hide forever. You can't. You, nobody can hide forever. And, and the longer you hide, often the more destruction comes along. In that situation with the work, a marriage can break up. You can lose contact with your children. But all of those examples we've said, hiding, you can't do it for a long time. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus finds the hiding people. The story of the Bible is a story of a God pursuing hiding people. In the story of Adam and Eve, they run and hide, and Jesus says, God, sorry, God says, Adam, where are you? He knows full well where Adam is. It's like when you see your kids run in the field, and, they, and you see them hide behind the tree, and you play and hide and seek. You've seen where they've gone, and then you've got to play act it. Where are you? Where are you? Oh, there's a surprise. There you are. That's what... That's what God, God finds us when we're hiding, and he wants us to come out of those hiding places. And in the Bible, there's a verse that says this, I, uh, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. A few verses later, it says, 
I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. We hide because we're scared of the consequences, we're scared of rejection. And the truth is, there may be consequences for the reasons we're hiding. I can't deny that there might well be consequences, but God will never reject you. He will never reject you. That God, God's promise to us is that he will stick by us and he will forgive us our sins forever. Even today, that song is about forgiveness. It's the story of the gospel. He will never reject us. He knows the sins we committed before we committed them. He knows the sins we committed when we're 80, when we're 20. And he loves us and accepted us at that point. The second thing that's great about this story is Jesus stands up for Zacchaeus. And now this is more controversial, controversial than you might think at first. These people, this entourage, have probably seen, I would suggest, probably seen Zacchaeus before Jesus. There was probably literally hundreds of people. And Zacchaeus, was in, they just come out of Jericho, and then there's a little rustling tree. And out of hundreds of people, I'm sure somebody's seen him and said, Oh, that's Zacchaeus, you traitor, you traitor to the Jews, come down here. Or other ones would say, Yeah, you stay up there, you don't, you don't want to come down here. And they would have been hurling abuse at him. And you've, because of you, I couldn't feed my kids. All these um, probably justified comments. And I imagine Jesus standing there, listening to, these, listening to these accusations, these true accusations. And then he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to eat with you today. Now that's controversial for more than one reason. But what Jesus, they were, what the crowd were probably expecting Jesus to say was, Zacchaeus, you've betrayed my people. You need to change your ways. You need to live a different life. You need to not only apologize, you need to give people their money back, go to the priests, and get cleansed, and then come to me. Probably should have said that, but he didn't. He said, come, I want to eat with you today. And what's significant about the eating with it? In their culture, it's not like ours. If someone said to me, I'm coming to eat at your house today, I'd be like, and who's paying? Are you? You're just going to invite yourself over, are you? But uh, please invite yourself over. <laughs> Good grief, nobody's going to do that now. Um, but but in, their, in this culture, if somebody, invite, if somebody says, I'm coming to your house, that was a huge honor. Huge honor. In fact, it was the equivalent of saying, Zacchaeus, I want to be your friend, despite what he has just heard. That is effectively what Jesus had said to him. And naturally, the crowd then turned on Jesus, and they all grumbled. So it says, they all grumbled. It's what Jesus does. Jesus loves us at the cost of himself. Does it time and time again in the Bible, and as you see later, the climax of the story of the Bible is a story about the cost of us, at the cost of himself, he loved us. This is Jesus. And this is what the call of Christians is to be, the same thing. We're called to love people at the cost of us. A little while ago, my wife came home it was about six months ago now, came home and, and said to me, Luke, there's a guy unconscious on the street. He's a homeless guy. I think he's drunk. He's homeless and he's unconscious. Can you go and help him? Um, so I went outside and sure enough, there he was. It was in the summer when it was about 36 degrees that day. It was so hot. And he was laying on the floor, like, literally like that. And there was no shade. He was in the blazing hot sun and he was unconscious. And I thought, literally, this could be genuinely critical. 
So, so I slapped him about a bit. I didn't really. I, I, I sat down with him. I woke him. I woke him up, and I tried to sit him up, and and I and I moved him into some shade and did all those things you should do: get a drink, blah blah blah. But um, in the process of moving him, I got a needle stick injury, um, which meant then for three months afterwards, I was on something called PEP, which is medication you get to prevent from HIV. And I didn't know if I've had HIV for a long time. Um, so the consequences were, were big. If it happened again, would I help him again? Clear conscience, yes, I would. Because the cost, call of being a Christian comes at a cost. That was a big cost, but it comes at a cost. Sadly, I, I came across people, and sad, even more sadly, Christians, who said, one, one person said to me, see, that's why you shouldn't help the homeless. There. And I thought, it's not, what book have you been reading? It's not the Bible, because that's not the story of the Bible. That's not what Jesus would do at all. Jesus loves people at the cost of himself. He stands up for the guilty. The program I hate the most, with a passionate capital, every letter, H-A-T-E, I can spell hate, hate passionately Jeremy Kyle. Hate it. And I hate it because it, everything it is stands against Christianity. It's against Christianity. Nothing is right about that program. But the, it lasted for 14 years. It's now been off, it's off air, thank the Lord. It's off air now, but for 14 years, that got a lot of viewings. Because of two reasons, I think. Two reasons. One, people like controversy. And two, people like justice. That story is a story. And generally, people would go on there and they would often be guilty and they would be found out to have been sleeping with somebody else in the family or some strange, some strange story. And then Jeremy Carr would go out there, shout in their face, and then when they went to attack him, would back off, and the big bouncers would come in. He's so brave. And, then, and, and, and he would be all mouth, and, he would, and then the crowd would be jeering and shouting things and laughing at them. It would be all, it'd be all of that. And, and, that, and, that, and that person would leave, head in, their, head in their hands, guilty, their life's destroyed. That's not Christianity. Jesus came to help guilty people. Not just people that need help. Guilty people. People that deserve justice. He came to help those people. That's the story of the gospel. And you hear people say, yeah, but they need to help themselves. Have you heard that line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lovely that we did that, but they need to help themselves. Also not in the Bible, by the way. Not in the Bible. The Bible, the Bible that, that sure, I, I agree. There's a stage where people need to make their own decisions and do some things for themselves, but that's not stage one. Stage one isn't they need to help themselves. The story of the Bible is Jesus coming to people, helping them, and then further down the journey, they can do things to help themselves. We're not need to help themselves. Jesus notices Zacchaeus. Jesus goes up to a tree, calls a man, a very rich man in his rich clothes, down from a tree. Despite the mocking and the jeering he would have got, he comes down from the tree, silence, I'm sure it would be silent at this point, and he runs away joyfully. If that's where the story ends, then that is not justice. It's not justice. How can that be justice? He's, this guy's been abusing families for probably years, getting really rich off of these guys, going to eat a meal at Jesus' house that's probably paid for by them. How is that justice? 
It's justice because about five chapters later, later, Jesus goes up to a tree, goes, hangs on a tree, gets put rich clothes put on him, and then ripped off of him again. King of the Jews put above his head. People mocking and jeering at him, but there was no Jesus to save Jesus. See, Zacchaeus' punishment, justice for Zacchaeus, was put onto Jesus. And that's the story of the Christian message for us. The punishment that we deserve and the punishment that these guilty people deserve was put onto Jesus. There'll be people, some people here who won't know Jesus and will be coming in and thinking, if only you knew, if you knew what I was like, you wouldn't be letting me, even let me sit in your seats. You'll probably have to detour them after I've gone. And the truth is, the Bible is full of people. And the people that God uses, so we've got David, murderer and adulterer. Mo, uh, Moses, murderer. He uses murderers, he uses adulterers. These people, by the way, were changed. They didn't stay like that. But he chose murderers, adulterers. He chose people that were arrogant, highly arrogant, extremely harsh, rude, um, violent. These are the people that the Bible uses. These are the people that Jesus called. So if you're wondering, if you're thinking, oh, if I came into a church, I'll get struck down. Not in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus uses these people and he changes these people. The gospel is open for everybody. Jesus can save everybody. But you need, that thought you get doesn't change when you become a Christian. You still get those thoughts. You still get, yeah, but they don't know what you did last week. You're a fraud. Imposter syndrome comes in. Happens to Christians. But the Bible says that he died for the sins of the world. And he died for the sins that you hadn't yet committed. When you became a Christian, he didn't just die for the sins that you had done. He died for the sins that you would do. And Christian life is a life, yeah, you, you, do, you do get closer to God, and as a result of that, you do sin less, but you will still sin. But Jesus died for all your sins. And Jesus brings happiness to Zacchaeus. Seems like a very strange thing to say in this story. It says he jumped down joyfully. It says, so Zacchaeus hurried down and received him joyfully. And Zacchaeus stood and said to him, Lord, behold, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, anything, I will restore it fourfold. And this part of the story is the bit that we always remember. He gave his money away. But that's not really the main point of the story. What the main point of the story is, Jesus meets him, Jesus stands up for him, Jesus calls him friend, and as a result of all those things, he changes Story of Christianity, story of our faith. People say, but people have said to me, oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't be a Christian because it means I'd have to forgive my dad and he was out of order to me. And, and while his dad, their dad might have been awful, and they see, but they see the things that they have to give up or the things they have to do. I couldn't, you mean I've got to stay with one person forever in marriage? No. Loads of these sort of questions come up and, that, and they end up being the preventative of them making a commitment to God. But... They don't realize that being a Christian is the happiest thing that can happen to you. They think doing these things will make them not happy. The story of Christianity is a story of a happy relationship with God. Zacchaeus was full of joy. It says in the Bible about the people in the story of Acts. They they, um, praised him and they were full of joy. The story is full of joy. And Christians, we have some hard times, as Martin even mentioned this morning on the microphone. Some of us have had some exceedingly difficult times. 
And the Bible doesn't omit us from that. The Bible doesn't say it's going to be easy for us. But it does suggest the general disposition of a Christian generally should be one of happiness. We're not to be grumbling, depressed, angry people all the time. Our general disposition is one of happiness. Because what's happened to us is happy. My boss at work is the same age as me, hasn't got any children, which is, which is fine. But the reason he hasn't got children is because he tells me that they will ruin his life. He says, um, I don't want kids because I'll have to get rid of my sky. I don't know how he comes to that conclusion, but anyway. I'll have to get rid of my sky, right, okay. And I'll have to, um, what's his reasons? His reasons were, oh, I'll be up in the night. I'll have to get up in the night. When they're sick, I've got to look after them when they're poorly. He lists all these things, like the negatives of having children. But, but like people that don't, that don't know, if you haven't had children, you don't realise the joy that you get from having children. And you do all those things because you love your kids, because you just adore your children. And you don't, do, you don't just do them because you do them, you do them because you love them. And that's the same with faith. We, live, we do live differently. The Bible makes, it says to live differently. We do, but we do it because we love God and we're happy. We are happy to do those things. Zacchaeus gave his, his money away, but he did, I doubt he was thinking at the beginning of the day, when I meet Jesus, I'm going to give my money away. That's probably not even entered his mind, but he meets Jesus and he's like, money, go, I, I don't need this. This is never, he, had all, he was rich, it says, but it hadn't brought him joy. But he meets Jesus in one conversation, in one afternoon, and he encounters a joy he probably hasn't experienced in his years, in that moment. True joy came from his relationship with Jesus. There's a quote that, where's that quote? Where is that quote? I don't know, I lost it. Okay. Okay, last but not least. Oh, here it is. Okay, it's a quote from a man called George Muller. George Muller is an amazing, amazing man. Man who started lots of orphanages, lived a life that is unbelievable. If you want to read his biography, unbelievable. But here's a quote he said. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all, things, um, above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. And the Psalms say this, in your presence is fullness of joy. If I haven't had a quiet time, this is not uncommon for Rachel to say to me, oh, somebody's not had a quiet time, because I'm just not as happy. When you have time with God, when you're close to God, you are happier. And last but not least, Jesus invites Zacchaeus into a community. And you might not have seen this verse, or you may not have noticed this verse. Right at the end it says this, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. Why did he say that? Why is that line in there? If you remember back to what I was saying about the accusations that he would have been getting from people, bear in mind, they hated him because not only was he a tax collector, but he was a Jewish traitor. They would have been saying things like, you aren't a true son of Abraham, you aren't a true Jew. They would have said those things. And Jesus says, you're a true son of Abraham. A di- probably a direct com- um, difference to what they had been saying. Jesus was inviting Zacchaeus back into a community. 
As I said earlier, that tree, that tree grows outside of, just outside of Jericho. Zacchaeus didn't feel part of, the, of part of that community. He had to climb a tree that wasn't even in the town. Climbs outside the tree. And Jesus knew that Zacchaeus had two needs, by the way, that are the same needs that we have. He needs his sin forgiven, and he needs a community. And that's, the, that's what the Christian needs. I'm going to read to you a poem, a poem that I've started writing that I hope will, will hope have a slightly different swing on it and make you think a little bit. Before I read that, there's a quote from the uh, Gospel Coalition. It says this, He saves us as individuals, yes, but he also saves us into communities. We need other believers to draw us back into the fold when we've gone astray. Other believers need us to encourage them on, spur them on. If we examine the order of things we're given in the New Testament, one another commands dominate the pages. Living in the community of the local church then is necessary, not optional for, for your growth in grace. We're meant to be part of a community. It says this, my poem says this. <clears throat> Has the church already served its purpose? Or has the birth of internet surf turned it worthless? Is it perched on the edge of the hearse we call surplus? Can't we learn verses while reversing out of a service? Because if I yearn for sermons, I can be immersed with my favourite person. Quick search and a click of a cursor. If it's worship, my Spotify has already heard it. Sounds perfect. The song choice discerned on purpose. So why church? If I can reach a peach, preach and stream a beat while I recline my feet at home with tea. Is it just something to busy me? Another thing to drain my limited energy? Or is it an assumption given that wants to prison me? Come rain or shine, I must feel obliged to be in the church vicinity. Could it be a decision forced by inner legalism that drives them to attend again and again, whether tired or spent? Or maybe it's meant with good intent, from a God who knew what we would invent. We must look again. You see, the inventions that we mention are built on a pretension that yours truly should be duly viewed as centre of attention. I smell with apprehension the stench of a dimension where the words I, me and my have prevailed, thus failed their intention. While I can move a mouse clicker by myself, and my YouTube views may be quicker by myself, and my Tim Hughes tunes sound slicker by myself, or my bedroom pew something's missing by myself. We need church. The church needs you. You need the church. God has called us into a new community called the church. And you can choose to be as involved as you like, but this isn't meant to be a family. This isn't a turn up on a Sunday and go in your way. This is a family that do life together, that go through hard times together. And it's an institution given by God. A God who, by the way, is Trinity. God in his person is a, a, commun a communal God. And we're made in his image, which means we are communal people. We need each other. So I want you to consider now, where's your hiding place? Where do you run to when you feel like you've done something wrong? Do you feel guilty and feel like you need forgiveness? Is your faith getting boring? Are you not a happy Christian? Do you need a fresh vision of Jesus? Or are you self-reliant and you need a community? I'm going to pray. Lord God, Jesus, you're amazing that you stood up for a man like that, but then you stand up for a man like me and people like us. 
Thank you that you give us a community. Thank you that you stand up for us. Thank you that you love us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us a happy relationship with you. Thank you that you call us to a happy relationship with God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, you call us to a life of joy. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Giving stuff up for you is not, costs nothing. It costs everything, but it costs nothing. And we say, you're amazing, Lord Jesus. Would you reveal yourself to the people in this room today? Will people get a fresh glimpse of you, Jesus? Because the gospel is about you. And Lord, I pray, would you heal people that need healing? Would you help people to be honest that are hiding? And would you have your way, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.